five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a state for kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for future topics you would like me to cover, please do get in touch with me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you the first in a series of warrior women stories. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today is the amazing Deborah Duval. Deborah is the managing editor of Kidney Matters magazine and lead in the kidney kitchen at Kidney Care UK. Deborah is a double kidney and pancreas recipient and lives a full and busy life. Deborah credits her good health to eating well, exercising, understanding medication, and managing stress. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Dee, and thank you very much for asking me to join you. I feel quite honoured. The honour and pleasure is all mine. Now, as an editor and writer, you're probably most used to asking the question, so how does it feel to be on the other side and being interviewed? I'll tell you what, my mother told me a very, very long time ago that I was given two ears and one mouth for a very good reason (laughs) and that I must talk half as much as I listen. I never, ever, ever managed to abide by that rule. (laughs) So this is a challenge, but it's an interesting one and I'm, I'm... trying now to not interrupt you Dee so I'm going to wait for you to ask me the question and I am going to respond and yes it is very alien feeling for me but it's a new experience. (laughs) Well hopefully we'll make it as as comfortable and as natural for you as possible. So I'm I'm going to kick off with my first question which is how did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? Okay so I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 11. And back then, because we are talking at the back end of the 60s then, so it was a very long time ago, um, diabetes wasn't as identified as it is now. So there may have been many, many people walking around with diabetes, but it wasn't diagnosed. And so I was actually the only person in my school, a school of 600 children who had the knowledge that she had diabetes and so it was quite an isolating experience and my diabetes was brittle which means it was very difficult to control so I had constant high blood sugars and low blood sugars it was very difficult for me to maintain a normal blood sugar so diabetes causes a lot of nerve damage in the body so it can damage your eyes you can get a thing called um, diabetic retinopathy eye damage in your stomach, which is gastro gastroparesis, and your kidneys can be damaged, and that is diabetic nephropathy. So the kidneys um, cease to function. And that was diagnosed when I was married in my late 20s, 
and my husband and I were trying for a child, trying to have a baby, and we wondered why we weren't getting pregnant, and um, and blood was um, identified in my urine in a in a test by my gynecologist, and he said, I'm going to refer you to a kidney specialist because I think there's something wrong with your kidneys. I don't think this is to do with your diabetes. And I went to a kidney specialist, um, and literally uh, within weeks I was diagnosed with kidney failure. Now, I managed to stave dialysis off for a couple of years by just exercising and, and trying to watch what I was eating, and I was drinking lots of water to try and combat that. But because I had out-of-control diabetes, it was very difficult for me to stick to a kidney-friendly diet. And so by the time I was 32, I was dialyzing, and that's that's how it all started. So it's quite a long leap from being diagnosed with diabetes at 11 to kidney failure at, yeah, I think I was 31, just coming off my 32nd birthday, and um, it, it I was actually di- dialyzing. So diagnosed at 28, dialysis by 31. Yeah, that's how it all started. So... One condition then caused another and then, you know, it kind of snowballed from there. So in terms of all the things that you were having to deal with and and cope with, and as you mentioned, you said that you were trying for a family and that had interrupted that. Um, How did having kidney disease affect how you see yourself as a woman? Okay, It's such a broad question, actually. It's a very good question, but it's such a broad question. And I've often um, had to warn people that are diagnosed with kidney failure. It actually affects every single aspect of your life. So for me, as a young, as a woman newly married and really hoping to to get quite a career ahead of herself, um, everything stopped because I was suddenly very, very ill and all of my plans changed. So it, the immediate changes were financial because I, I couldn't work full-time anymore. I had to become part-time. But it did mean that I could study for my qualifications to write, and so I managed to get a better grasp, if you like, of the English language, which has set me up subsequently as a writer. Um it changed my body physically because I was dialyzing via a method called peritoneal dialysis at that stage. And that is where you have a plastic tube into your peritoneum through your stomach wall and you're pouring a litre and a half of a glucose solution into your body four times a day. And then, well, so you, you drain out the, the dirty solution, if you like, and then you pour a clean solution in. And then via a process of what is called osmosis, that sugary solution draws all the impurities in your body into it and you flush it out and you put a new bag in. And so for a very small person, and I'm not a very large person, my frame is quite small, to to be carrying around this litre and a half of sugary fluid in my peritoneum, two things happened. Number one, I looked pregnant, so a lot of people thought I was pregnant, which was quite a painful thing to deal with. And number two, um, I just became very, very ill and I had no energy and that form of dialysis didn't really suit me. It knocked my diabetes even further out of kilter. As you can imagine, infusing all of that glucose solution into a diabetic body, not a great idea. The two diets made me lose my appetite, actually, because I just couldn't work out what to eat. 
uh, what I could eat. So it changed my prospects as a career woman. It changed my potential as a mother. It changed the way I look. I was really changed my looks dramatically. Um, it changed how I saw my future planning out. I, I had always imagined I would be, you know, I would be a mother knocking around in an old farmhouse with loads of kids and Wellington boots everywhere. And that was just suddenly off. That was off the agenda completely. So it was a real utter rethink. It was also made me, I didn't want to be dependent. I've always been quite an independent woman. And I was suddenly dependent on the care of my husband, who was brilliant, I have to say. Um, as were my parents. I could not have got through this condition without the love and support of my friends and family. I, I It's simply not possible. Um, it impacted upon us financially. We had a mortgage and that depended very heavily on my salary, um, which halved in six months. My salary, my income halved in six months. And that causes pressure in a relationship. So, yeah, it changed everything. Everything changed. And how did you come through that? I think um, I didn't know back then how to come through it. I just We just took every day as it came. Every day brought a new complication. It seemed I'd get on top of one complication and something else would happen. Um, every journey through kidney failure is different. I think I had a particularly bad journey. So I now know, well, you and I do know of people that work and dialyze that was not a possibility for me I, I simply became too ill so I didn't really I was struggling I mean I can't pretend otherwise I struggled with every aspect of life we did manage we did have a laugh I will say I had a good marriage um, but I was incredibly poorly incredibly poorly and um, and then the option of um, having a kidney and a pancreas presented itself it was very early days of kidney and pancreas transplantation and I researched it and I asked if I could be considered for that and I have to say within months of me losing my life altogether I was offered that transplant in October 1994 um, a wonderful young man lost his life in a car accident newly married with a new baby and um, I know that family well now. They are part of my life. Um, but his young wife um, said yes to organ donation in October 1994. And I received a kidney and pancreas and my life changed overnight. I remember coming around in intensive care and um, I can honestly say it was like someone had switched the sun on inside of me. That's the, I've always described it like that. It's like there was suddenly light inside of me. And I had moisture in my eyes and I didn't have that horrible taste in my mouth and my skin was healing up because it was breaking before my skin was splitting open. It was all healing. My hair was growing. I was hungry. I wanted to eat something. And my life changed in early October 1994. And I took me, I had, got so poorly it did take me about a year to fully recover from that operation I, I I was actually in a wheelchair just before I had the operation I I had no strength in my legs anymore um so that changed my life and saved my life and and 
whether you are a religious person or not, there are powers certainly that bear down at a time like that when you know you're just about to lose your life and suddenly this amazing gift is offered to you and you just grab it. So uh, despite all the risks, I was ever so poorly, there were massive risks associated with that transplant. I didn't hesitate for a single moment. So that took me to my first transplant. Uh, just briefly, the kidney of that transplant failed three years later, so I had to consider going back to dialysis. Not an easy decision, but I did. And this time I went back to hemodialysis, and that actually suited me very well, and I was okay, and I managed to continue to study. I had a second kidney transplant in 1999, and then three years after that, the pancreas from the first transplant failed, and I asked to be put back on the waiting list for a pancreas alone. Um, so for five years, I had to deal with diabetes again. And then in 2008, I had a second pancreas. So now I have a, a functioning kidney from one donor, which is now nearly 22 years old. And I have a fun functioning pancreas, which is nearly 13 years old. So I'm, I'm majorly well now. I work full time, have a great life. But one hell of a journey to go through. Hellish, absolutely hellish. I, I can't describe it in any other way however I, I'm here I'm standing and you just find a deeper strength inside yourself and you just deal with it that is incredible that is wow <laughs> I'm speechless so going from having very little energy not being able to walk um you know having to use a wheelchair to living a very active life now I can see that organ donation has made a mass, has, has been life changing for you. Mm. Um, so, what is the one thing that you wish you'd known when you were first diagnosed? Everything about kidney disease, and I knew nothing. So, I think probably the biggest realization, the realization that I had to get to at some point in my life on this journey <clears throat> was that this condition is for life. So I thought after my first kidney and pancreas transplant, <laughs> when I skipped home, <laughs> I thought, right, that's it. I am so out of here. Nobody ever mentioned kidneys or pancreases or diabetes or kidney failure to me. Again, I do not want the conversation. And bye-bye, I'm out. And, of course, that transplant is a treatment of a condition which you will live with for the rest of your life it is a treatment it's a form of treatment for most people it's the gold standard treatment but there are some people that will never have a transplant and so they manage a life with dialysis and the knowledge that they'll be on dialysis for a very long time and yet they live a good life so some people manage to live a good life it was not for me transplantation was the best thing that has ever happened to me um so in answer to your question the realization that this is a condition that is for life and you mustn't allow yourself to be defined by it you have to find your other strengths your other talents <clears throat> you have to appreciate life in a slightly different way and perceive yourself in a slightly different way but um the older i've got the more powerful my realisation is that nobody is perfect. 
you know, out there. We are all different. We are just individuals. And so I've got this great whacking zip of a scar from hip to hip and another one from my belly button right up to my breastplate. Um, And I have now, because I had these transplants, I have a compromised immune system. I have to take medication that suppresses my natural immune system so it doesn't recognize these transplants. That medication in itself has implications. So, you know, I'm easily infected. I must um, make sure my food is clean, that nobody else is breathing over the food that I eat. So wedding buffets and things like that, that's a consideration for me. Um, so, yeah, this is for life. That's the biggest, that's, if if I had to, if I wished I'd known something right at the start, is I wish I'd had the realisation that this thing is for life. I needed somebody to tell me. And then I perhaps could have built a, a, a deeper understanding of the many ways that I would need to change my life to in, to adapt to it. And I, I just didn't. I just thought, I need my transplant, and then I can just go. And that's not the case. What has been your hardest challenge, and what did you learn from it? Um. <clears throat> My hardest challenge, my hardest challenge is that my life changed and it is, I've had to learn to adapt and I've had to develop quite a thick skin. I think chronic illness does affect relationships and in a very melodramatic way, um, I think since I've had my kidney disease uh, diagnosed, <clears throat> I've never felt whole again. I've always felt like I'm a bit, if I was a sh- in a shop, I'd be on the damaged goods shelf. And, and I know that sounds no, crazy, that's not- but that's, the, that's, an, that's just an honest perception of myself. And it's absolutely ridiculous because I've, you know, I've, I've climbed mountains through this disease I've had to find such inner strength and adapt and I've got everything to be proud of you know I'm I'm published as a writer I I hold down a really good responsible job Um, I lead in some fairly significant projects for a a major charity so I, I have no reason to feel like that but that is honestly sort of what happens it does or it can knock you sideways um, and so your perception of self is is altered and slightly diminished. And I think if I was to encourage the um, the professionals that support us through this, who are amazing, by the way, I would say some of those softer issues, the issues about self-image and self-worth, might warrant some attention as well as the physical manifestations of the disease. What advice would you give someone who's just been diagnosed with kidney disease? Okay, so <clears throat> some real key bits of advice, actually. And number one is to find out as much as you possibly can about the disease, to ask questions. When you get time with a consultant, their time is limited. Make no mistake about that. They might look comfortable and on their chair, but their time is limited with you. So what can happen is you can go in and you've forgotten all the questions that you wanted to ask. So I'd say write everything down and and write 
questions that don't have a yes and no answer to them. <laughs> Consultants are going to love me for this. So say, <laughs> so say things like, are you happy with my blood results? Is there anything I should be looking out for? What can I do to improve my chances? These are the things you need to ask open-ended questions. Read as much as you can. And then there are things you can do to help yourself get through this. And I have four golden rules. And that is um, I'm lucky enough to come from a family where we're pretty happy. We don't seem to suffer with sort of depression and mental illnesses. So we're quite up. So I'm very lucky in that respect. Um, So try and manage stress. Try and get as much sleep as you can. That's number one. Try and be happy. That's really important to get through this. Even when you're in hospital, plumbed up to all sorts of things, have a laugh with the nurses, have a laugh with the other patients in your ward. Um, Number two is eat the best food you can possibly afford. That's really, really key. I really urge you to knock the takeaways on the head and fizzy sweet drinks and things like that. It is not going to do you any good. Your body is a machine. What you put into it, that will determine the results you reap afterwards. You have to invest in your body. So that also then brings me on to point three, and that is exercise. So exercise is is really important, so mentally and physically. So I try to exercise every day um, because this this is a chronic condition and it can mess with your head a bit. So fresh air exercise is really going to help you through this. And then the fourth thing is <laughs> do as you are told. Now, if somebody tells you to take some medication, <clears throat> ask what the medication's for. Make sure you're happy with that answer, but then commit to take it. And if they say take this medication every 12 hours, blinking well, take it every 12 hours. <laughs> they don't say it because they like the sound of their own voice. It, you know, really, you it's a partnership. You really have to engage in that process don't consider it's all being done to you you have to take responsibility for this so turn up to dialysis take your medication listen to the advice you're given and also make friends so now unlike 30 years ago when i was first diagnosed there are great support groups out there peer support groups people your age who have been through it who are there to help you so reach out, reach out and ask. There are, there are loads of people and, and obviously good charities out there that will support you through this. And I'm obviously going to say Kidney Care UK because it's the charity I work for, um, but we help thousands of patients, counselling services, financial support, practical help. We have a kidney kitchen where patients learn how to cook kidney-friendly food. You know, it's all there for you. So you can't just sit on your backside and hope that it'll all come to you because it won't. You really have to reach out. So that's my advice. That's my advice, Dee. Sorry, it was a bit long-winded. Not at all. It's excellent advice. And you covered so many things that can help so many people. So thank you for that. What are the best resources that have helped you along the way? Um best resources i it has been a changing process so i would say 30 years ago that there weren't the resources i mean our diet sheets were just really badly photocopied 
sheets of paper that told us what we couldn't eat. <laughs> so I've just mentioned you can go to the kidney kitchen now and 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 that that does that destination will give you recipes that will help you manage your kidney disease at whatever stage you are. Um tapping into one of the main charities if you have polycystic kidney disease go to the polycystic uh, polycystic kidney disease support line but one of the umbrella organizations kidney care uk will have information on every form of kidney disease there is so you will not be able to say anything to us that we haven't heard before and by definition i am a patient so we have got patients working in the charity as well as people who are hugely professional in their field, counsellors, um, advocacy officers to help you navigate the benefit system. And so, so yeah, so so tap, reach out and tap into those resources. Um, don't be afraid to pick up the phone and ask your renal unit. Again, there's nothing that you can ask that they haven't heard, heard about. And do not be embarrassed to ask about anything, anything that is happening to your body. Someone else has been through it. As, as embarrassed or horrible as it may seem to you, it's, you're just a body to the um, medical profession, which needs to be fixed. So speak up, ask. And if you're not happy with the answer, say you're not happy with the answer and you don't understand. And, they, and, and keep going until you do understand. Um, yeah, so... Greatest resources, other patients, good charities, your medical support team at the hospital. What are common myths about kidney disease that you want to debunk? Well, I think I probably alluded to the greatest myth, and that is when you get a transplant, you're no longer a kidney patient. You are always a kidney patient. And a transplant, a kidney transplant is one form of treatment of kidney disease, but not it doesn't conquer it. It is a treatment. And some transplants, as I've just demonstrated, will last a, a short time, unfortunately. Some will go on 40. You know, we've just celebrated this year the first 50-year-old kidney transplant. Well, I mean, that must have been stitching with catgut, for God's sake. You know, just like <laughs> that was real primitive stuff. But isn't that amazing? That I mean, you're not, even, you're, not, you're not 50. Yeah. So that was before you were even born. Wow. And that, you know, that is amazing. Um, so the technology is getting better, but transplantation is not a cure. You are still a kidney patient. You are still vulnerable. You still have to take medication. The moment you stop taking medication, you are jeopardizing your transplant. In fact, you're determining its demise. Um, what are the other myths that we can debunk? Um that if you have a living donor, that living donor will have a compromised quality of life. That's not the case. They are they get a medical checkup every year after they've donated a kidney. So anything that might have gone unnoticed will be noticed now. Um, you cannot donate a kidney unless you are 100% fit. And to and the emotional satisfaction i can only imagine this because i've spoken to my parents about it both of whom wanted to donate to me the emotional satisfaction of saving someone in your family's life by just the simple act of giving them a kidney is huge that's that's what people want people who love you that's what they want to do so yeah that's a huge myth that needs to be debunked 
Um, yeah, I think they're the two ones that you, you, you know, that you are cured after transplant, you're not, but you have a great quality of life. And number two, that you're somehow, um, reducing your health or your quality of life if you donate a kidney you will not be allowed to donate a kidney unless you're 100% fit and from here on in you get a, a yearly health check so it is one of the most wonderful things one human being can do for another what question do you wish I had asked you um I think possibly we've slightly alluded to it and that is the softer issues the issues of body image and how relationships change so all I can say is from my own experience I went from quite an out there person very much on a career path very much had a clear vision of where I was going with my career and it was all taken away from me really you know one diagnosis and I had to rethink everything and that includes my relationships. So um, I think I wish or, or, or I would suggest that when people talk about kidney failure or any chronic illness, they talk, they address the issue of changing relationships. Because, you know, you can go from one person, from being one person to quite a frightened, vulnerable person in in the beat of a heart, you know, it's just that quick. One minute you're, you walk into a hospital with one perception of yourself and you walk out of the hospital having had the diagnosis with a completely different perception. And um, and it's a very frightening time. And I don't know that many people address that. It, it, you know, it, it's got to talk it through. You've got to have people around you that will build you up and, and understand that, this is a tough, this is tough, this is not easy. Um, but we all have good moments and bad moments. You know, I will say I've laughed the most heartiest in hospital. It, it is just unbelievable what happens in hospital sometimes. Um, and yet I've had my most desperate moments in hospital as well. And I think to have someone that you can talk to and say those things to is, is very important it might not necessarily might not necessarily be the person you're married to so you must tread carefully with that and and not make assumptions and appreciate that it's it's other people that are going through this with you as well as you and they will have their own set of fears and anxieties and uh yeah so 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 the whole changing dynamic in a family in a partnership between a man and a woman or whoever your loved person is your most closest person watch it just watch it it's it's a it's a tricky time to navigate and there's there wasn't a lot of help when I was first diagnosed there's much more help now but don't take anything for granted you know it's more than just you that's going through this so in terms of help for families and you know I call them kidney warrior supporters mm. what help is out there for kidney warrior supporters again there are great support groups, great peer support groups. So if you are a carer, there are carer support groups. I I'm, I don't even feel it my duty because I work for the charity. Kidney Care UK sets up great 
peer supports. And if they don't have some a group themselves, they will know of a group in your area. Um, kidney patient associations are great to uh, a great resource, but there's a great bunch of people. It's all it's it's not just patients, it's carers, it's sisters, brothers of kidney patients. So the whole the whole spectrum of relationships are covered within those kidney patient support networks, kidney patient associations, and most renal units will have one associated with them. So there is that again. Um, you know, we live in a social media age, so there's wonderful Facebook support groups out there, um, great websites, chat rooms. So there's a lot more support now than even ten years ago. You know, it's it's all out there. What I will I will flag up one warning: don't read everything you read. Don't believe everything you read on Google because. <laughs> not all of his sound information yes. believe me <laughs> so yeah to make sure you you're using trusted information a trusted site thank you my final question is where can our listeners connect with you online oh my goodness me dear. i have got a twitter account hey <laughs> <laughs> And I and it's called and I am woman in CKD. I am contactable. Obviously, I have a Facebook page, and I work for Kidney Care UK. So, you, I am contactable at that charity, and I will help anybody that reaches out and needs help. I will always find the time to help anybody that needs a question answered, or a bit of support, or to be signposted, or to be. Um, advised where they might find the best quality information if I haven't got it myself. So as you've heard, you can contact Deborah on Twitter. Her Twitter handle is womaninckd and you can also contact her at the Kidney Care UK charity and on Facebook. So thank you so much for spending this time with me today and giving absolute golden gems of advice and for sharing your story. I believe wholeheartedly that everything that you've shared today will help people, you know, especially the person who's just started out in their journey and probably very scared and confused, don't know what to do. Hearing yourself, you know, coming through so much, I'm sure that will give so much encouragement and hope and strength to so many people. So thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. See, it's been an absolute honour, actually, and it's quite funny how you forget aspects of your life, and it actually does you good to touch base base with what you've been through. It's actually quite a cathartic experience. So um, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you for asking to interview me. Um, uh, just one final point. I edit a magazine called Kidney Matters. So if you are a listener and you are new to kidney disease, get in touch with us at Kidney Care UK and subscribe to, it's a free quarterly publication called Kidney Matters, and that will give you some very, very valuable insight and pointers on how to best manage your condition. And because I'm editing it, and I've been there, it's all tested on a real patient. (laughs) So that's my biggest tip. That's the best tip I can give you. But I wish everybody the best of luck. Don't be afraid. Uh, you know, as I say, 35 years on, I am still standing and working full time and having a great life. So there have been some bad moments, but I, I am 
I am a survivor. I am a kidney warrior. So thank you for this opportunity, Dee. I'm really very grateful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to part one of the Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast, Warrior Women three-part series. And don't forget that you can contact me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. The next episode of the Warrior Women series will be uploaded next Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.